morning, the reading is from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and decrease in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Jean, for sharing for reading from God's Word for us this morning. Friends, good morning. Um, if I haven't met you before, my name's Clint. I serve as, as pastor here at Grace. Uh, perhaps you joined us over the Easter break for the first time. We're very glad to have you, uh, and very glad to, be, uh, to have you here as we kick off a new terms series as we look at the book of Ecclesiastes together. Just a note or two before we kick off. Uh, we're very glad to have uh, Tom Richards with us here today. Tom is one of our mission partners that we've been supporting for a number of years. Uh, he's been working in Vanuatu for a number of years, uh, and he's back in Australia with his family for now, visiting his family on the coast. As you heard, his, his dad's unwell. Please do chat to Tom afterwards uh, so you can hear more about what he does and how things have changed for you in the last, uh, last few months. Uh, glad to have you, Tom. Right. I'm going to ask you to have Proverbs chapter 1 open in front of you. I know I said we're starting Ecclesiastes today, but all will become clear. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on his word. Our Lord and our God, you've told us that your word can make us wise for salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that it would indeed do that this morning as we study it. Father, help us to hear you speaking to us as our creator. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I also want to say as we well, thank you very much for our, to our home group and for others for encouraging us and supporting us and helping us this last few weeks while we've been stuck at home uh, with COVID. I'm very glad to the Lord that uh, you've been kind enough to let me be here again today. And huge thanks also to Scott. Thank you for uh, filling in for our Easter services. That was a huge help. Well, Confucius was a Chinese philosopher and thinker and politician who lived about 500 years before Jesus was born. And he's well known for the things that he said. He said things like, everything has beauty, but not everyone sees it. He said, when anger arises, think of the consequences. He also said, life is really simple, but we insist on making it complicated. By contrast, consider these nuggets from website lifehacker.com. If you prefer your Anzac Vickies chewy, let them cool on the tray rather than the wire rack. Throw a used lemon in your dishwasher 
to help with cleaning and deodorizing and to give your dishes some extra sparkle. And finally, painting your front door black or gray can add thousands of dollars of value to your home. Take it or leave it. This is from a website. And of course, while some of these are clearly not as profound as others, and we can you know, debate which ones are more profound and useful to us than others, they all fit into the broad category of what we tend to call wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is really about observing the world around us, uh, to learn how to live well. It's about noticing the way nature is, noticing the way people are, to live life better. Wisdom is applied through making choices and decisions, but rather so much than choosing what is right or wrong or what is true or false, wisdom is about choosing what's best. And, of course, wisdom is something that human beings uh, from all over the world have been pursuing for thousands of years. Uh, Confucius and Lifehacker.com are just some examples of wisdom from human history. Sorry, I'm just having some technical issues this morning. So, as we've seen, Confucius, Lifehacker.com, there's some, just some examples of human wisdom from our own history. Uh, also, when we hear sayings like, a picture is worth a thousand words, or better safe than sorry, that's also wisdom from our cultural history. It's something human beings have been doing uh, since time immemorial, trying to figure out how the world works so that we can live the best life. Even disciplines from physics to philosophy can also be covered under the broad category of wisdom. I think what might surprise us, though, is that the Bible is very concerned about wisdom, and it is full of wisdom. The Bible's not just a collection of old stories or a bunch of rules about what's right and what's wrong. The Bible itself contains a significant proportion of wisdom, observations about the world and about humanity to help those who read it to live well. Now this term, we're going to be working through one of the wisdom books in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. And we'll start Ecclesiastes itself next week. But today we're in another one of the wisdom books called Proverbs, so that we can introduce this idea of wisdom in the Bible to help us when we get into Ecclesiastes over the next term. Now, in the Old Testament, there are four main books that deal in wisdom. Those books are Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. Of course, there are, there are a few psalms as well that we might call wisdom psalms. Psalm 1 is one of those wisdom psalms. Psalm 104 is also a wisdom psalm. As I said earlier, it's helpful to have Proverbs chapter 1 open in front of you, because that's where we'll spend our time this morning. Proverbs is probably the most well-known of the Old Testament wisdom books. And it begins by highlighting something very important about the Old Testament wisdom literature, and that's its connection to King Solomon. So if you look there at verse 1 of chapter 1 of Proverbs, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. 
Now, while the book of Job identifies no author and Ecclesiastes only hints at Solomon's work, Proverbs, just like Song of Songs, also known as Song of Solomon, it clearly identifies Solomon as the writer. Now, if you know your Bible storyline, you know that Solomon was the original wise man. When you think of Solomon, we think of wisdom. After his father David died, he became king over Israel. And one night, God appeared to Solomon in a dream and said, Ask of me whatever you want. Of course, that's, that's like having the genie, being able to rub the lamp and have your free wishes. Solomon doesn't ask for more wishes. He doesn't ask for wealth. He doesn't ask for a long life. In fact, we're told that Solomon recognized how inadequate he was for ruling God's people. And so he asked God for wisdom. He said to God, 1 Kings chapter 3, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? And we're told that God responded by doing just as he asked. God said, Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I shall also give you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. Of course, as we move through the account of Solomon's reign, we see him becoming internationally famous for his wisdom. And people, even great people from all over the world, travel to Jerusalem just to meet Solomon and listen to what he has to say. And his wisdom covers everything from diplomacy and politics and international relations to zoology, botany, and anthropology. God made him an expert in learning about the world and drawing conclusions about how people are so that he and the people he leads can live well. And even in Jesus' time, Solomon is considered one of the greatest people who's ever lived. Well, what does Solomon say about wisdom? On your service outline, you've got a three headings there. We're going to be working through this passage under those three headings. And we'll start with the first in verse 1 to 6, to know wisdom. What does Solomon tell us about wisdom? Well, here in Proverbs 1, verse 1 to 7, we've got an introduction to the book of Proverbs, but it might as well stand as an introduction to all of Solomon's wisdom writings. So look with me at verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king over Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So Solomon records his wisdom and shares it so that God's people over whom he rules can also know wisdom. And he shows us a whole bunch of different facets of wisdom, knowing, instruction, understanding, learning about wise dealing, about righteousness, justice, equity, etc. I think there are three particular things worth pointing out here about the wisdom Solomon's talking about. Two of them come from verse 4 one from verse 5. Firstly, in verse 4, Solomon says that wisdom is for the youth. I think we often think that wisdom 
must be the result of life experience. That gray hair and wrinkles go hand in hand with wisdom. On the other hand, we might easily believe that being young must go hand in hand with stupidity. And perhaps even those who are young, they have the luxury of being able to be reckless and foolish and try things. Because wisdom can and perhaps must come later. On the contrary, Solomon knows that real wisdom, yes, is even for the young. In fact, some of the young might be wiser than those who are old. Even the young may know wisdom and learn to live well, according to the Bible. Secondly, wisdom is for the simple. Verse 4. The wisdom that Solomon is talking about is not exclusive to the intellectual to those with university degrees, or to those who like to read thick books. True wisdom is within anyone's reach. And we might be surprised to discover that much of the Bible's wisdom is actually really practical. It's real wisdom that is hands-on. Anyone may know wisdom and learn to live well. And thirdly, in verse 5, Solomon says that wisdom is also for the wise. See, real wisdom means guarding against the arrogance of ever assuming that we've arrived when it comes to wisdom. The one who's truly wise knows that there's always room to grow in wisdom, that there's always more to learn. Well, those are three things to notice from verse 1 to 6 about wisdom, that it's for the youth, that it's for the simple, and yes, it's for the wise. In fact, anyone and everyone may know wisdom and so live well. But what's the key to unlocking this wisdom that Solomon is talking about, that is well within the reach of young and old, wise and simple? Well, it's there in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And you know, this is a motto that we find repeated in many places in the Bible's wisdom literature. So we find it in Uh, Job chapter 28, verse 28. God said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Or again in Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. shouldn't really come as any surprise to us, but if we want to learn how to live well in the world that God has made, well then knowing him is going to be essential to knowing wisdom. Of course, God has made the world in such a way that we can know a lot about the world just by looking at it, just by observing it. We can gain wisdom about the weather just by watching it. We can gain wisdom about people just by listening to them. But while we might get by and gain a lot of wisdom just by observing God's world in action, wouldn't it be better and therefore wiser to observe the world in a right relationship with the one who made it? Now, a few weeks ago, I bought a second-hand coffee machine. And I had a good look at it. I gave it a clean, and I used it to make what I thought was a pretty good cup of coffee. But it was only when I went to the manufacturer's website and downloaded the manual that I learned how to make a better cup of coffee because I realized how the machine should be used. My coffee was far better when I used the machine the way the manufacturer designed it to be used. 
And it's the same with living well in God's world. We've got to go to God first. Start with him as the, as the maker, as the manufacturer, as the designer. He did make the world in which we live. And of course, this is especially true when it comes to understanding people, whether it's understanding others or ourselves, is understanding and knowing the God in whose image we are made. Now, when Solomon says that, the wis- that, that, that wisdom must take the fear of the Lord as its departure point, he certainly doesn't mean living in a constant terror of God. Uh, the constant anxiety that we might do something that's going to make God fly into a rage. That's not what God is like at all. This fear, which comes up often in the Bible, has a reverent awe to it. See, it's recognizing who God is. It's recognizing that he is the eternal creator, the holy God, the righteous judge of his world. As a result, we put the Lord, not ourselves, at the center of our quest for wisdom. We take his design for his world seriously. We take his definition of right and wrong seriously. And this, of course, is where Solomon eventually went wrong. His wisdom wasn't enough. It was when he lost his fear of the Lord that his heart was turned aside to false gods. J.I. Packer wrote in his classic book, Knowing God, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not until we've become humble and teachable, standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness, distrusting our own thoughts, and willing to have our minds turned upside down, can divine wisdom become ours. In other words, if you really want to know wisdom, you've got to know God. Our search for wisdom has got to come from a right relationship with the one who made the world in which we live and in whose image we are made. And what this tells us quite importantly is that true wisdom, it can't come only from learning about God's world. It's got to come from learning about his world in the light of his word, what is revealed to himself, uh, about himself to his people. And only then can we learn to truly live well. On to our third point. The New Testament shows us how important a right relationship with God is in our pursuit of wisdom. It'd be great if you could turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 7 in the New Testament. Of course, we studied this part of the Bible in, uh, in our ser- one of our sermon series last year, which begins in chapter 5 as Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember how Jesus begins his sermon? He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, you need to know that in ancient times, the goal of wisdom was achieving what was often called the blessed life. So we're supposed to notice here that what Jesus is essentially driving at in his sermon is the same thing, of course, to a Jewish audience steeped in their Old Testament. He's driving at wisdom to live the blessed life. The fact that Jesus is imparting wisdom in his sermon is actually confirmed in the final parable, starting in chapter 7, verse 24. It'd be great if you could follow along with me. Jesus said, 
Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And it said that when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. Of course, the crowds realize that there's something special about the way that Jesus teaches about his words. There's an authority behind them that they found nowhere else. Of course, this is because Jesus is God's son. and He speaks with the authority of the Father, revealing God to the world. And what Jesus' parable about the two men actually means is that the person who truly listens to Jesus will survive the destruction of God's final judgment on sin. And to do this, says Jesus, is to be like a wise man. In other words, trusting that Jesus is who he says he is, God's promised king and rescuer who pays for our sin, and secures our life in God's kingdom forever, this is the path to the best life there is. Listening to Jesus and knowing God through Jesus is wisdom. The Christian has a particular advantage then when it comes to the pursuit of wisdom. Knowing God, being in a right relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. This means that a Christian can truly fear the Lord recognize who he is, and know wisdom in order to live the best life now. The gospel is the key to unlocking wisdom for us. Now, I think we often believe the gospel is important. It's, it's relevant for us, but it's mostly relevant for when we die and we go to enjoy life forever in God's kingdom. I think we sometimes fail to realize the gospel's real relevance, its practical relevance for our day-to-day. Sometimes we have different categories in our life for gospel, for work, for study, for relationships, for fun. But if Jesus calls listening to his words wisdom, then it means that all areas of our lives have to come under the umbrella of the gospel. In fact, it means the gospel is the key to living the best life now, a life which will withstand the destructive storms of judgment and continue on into eternity with the law. But it does mean that we must use the brains God has given us and learn to apply the gospel wisely to all areas of our life, to how we relate to other people, to how we think about and how we treat our bodies, to how we spend our time, to how we work, to how we study. And this will be especially true for areas where the Bible is silent. These areas are not simply fair game for us where we can do whatever we want. For example, the Bible has absolutely nothing to say about how we use a smartphone. 
But that doesn't mean we're excused from wisely applying the gospel to how we use a smartphone. You can insert whichever example you like there. Because the gospel does touch on every single aspect of our lives. True wisdom, according to Jesus then, is actually looking at all of life with gospel glasses on. And this is the path to the best life there is. It won't always be comfortable. It won't always be easy. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, he reminds us that the gospel, gospel wisdom is often upside down from the world's point of view. But living with gospel wisdom means living the best life now and forever. It's a way of life that's good, good for us. It's a way of life, in fact, that works because it's how the designer intended it. Perhaps taking the the idea a bit further, gospel wisdom also has important implications for how we share the gospel with others. What difference do you think it might make if we didn't just share the facts of the gospel or a good argument for the gospel? What if we shared the wisdom of the gospel? What if we showed a way of life that's best, a way of life that works, a better way of relating to people? a better way of growing old, a better way to raise our kids, not not in a proud or arrogant way, but in a way that also shows a right fear of the Lord who made the world in which we live. Now, we've just scratched the surface this morning in uh, in the Bible's, uh, in this category of wisdom that we find in the Bible. And as we get into the term, as we get into Ecclesiastes next week, we're going to explore more about what it means But I hope I've encouraged us to to at least think a bit more about what gospel wisdom might look like and what it means for our lives. I hope you're interested and even excited about what we might learn as we get into Ecclesiastes over the next eight weeks. What we're going to see in Ecclesiastes is gospel wisdom, which warns us not to look for meaning and purpose in things that cannot deliver meaning and purpose. Things like work things like pleasure or possessions, things like a particular age or a particular time in our lives, Uh, even in wisdom itself. As we work our way through the book, we're going to work somewhat topically through these different pursuits that the preacher of Ecclesiastes tests uh, to see whether or not they can provide meaning and purpose. And each week we're going to complete the story by going to the New Testament to see how the gospel clearly gives us a right perspective on those pursuits under God to live well in Christ, both now and forever. I hope you can join us for that. For now, let's pray and thank God and ask him to give us wisdom. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, you've told us in your word, if any of us lacks wisdom, we're to ask you, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Father God, we pray this morning that you would indeed make us wise that you would help us to see the world, see our own lives and ourselves with gospel glasses on, so that we might live the best life we can now, a life which will continue on into eternity with you forever. And Lord, also that we might show those around us a way of life in Christ that is best and that works. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we move towards the end of our service, we're going to